0: Like to know whether or not ECPR is in fact beneficial.
1: They initiated CPR and then scooped and ran.
0: Their results were pretty profound.
1: Bystander CPR was 98 to 99 percent.
2: I would really like to have a cardiac arrest in improv. This is the direction we will be going in. Welcome back,
1: everyone, to Critical Care Perspectives in Emergency Medicine. This is Mike Winters from the University of Maryland School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. As always, we are so happy you have joined us for this podcast, and we are going to touch on an emerging... well. It has emerged, but a continuing to emerge topic in resuscitation of patients with cardiac arrest, specifically for this episode, Out of Hospital Cardiac Arrest. But as always, before we dive into our educational content for this podcast, I'd like to bring in my co-host for this episode. You know them so well. They are the masterminds and clearly gurus of emergency medicine, research and critical care. I have Dr. John Greenwood and Dr. Peter W. We are missing Dr. Rodriguez, who is in transit to SAEM. So he will be joining us for our next recording. But John and Peter, how are you guys this recording?
0: Doing great, Mike. Just got done a great conference at AAEM. We had a really awesome group at the critical care workshop. Two days of hardcore critical care. It was really a lot of fun meeting The people that came, thank you to everyone who joined the pre-conference session from all walks of emergency medicine, whether it was community, rural, academic, generated some really great discussion and had a really great time. So that was a great week last week. Agreed.
2: Peter? Yeah. So AAM was spectacular as always. And then that transitioned for me into Jazz Fest for the last two weekends. So it's been spectacular for me.
1: Great, great music down in New Orleans, huh?
2: Music, food, outdoors, great weather. It was lovely.
1: That's awesome. It was so great to see both of you in Baltimore. And it was so great to be at AAEM. And I'll tell you, as I mentioned to you guys in person, it was right across the street from my office. So it was like driving into the hospital every day, going back and forth between the conference and office and being able to do some admin shifts and then some education. And it was so great to see everybody at AAM. John, thanks for mentioning that. We really had a great time during our recess for the emergency physician pre-con. Thanks to the both of you for participating in that. And it was really, really just a great time. Well, to that end, to that critical care, to that resuscitation type of mindset, Let's stay on that, and let's talk about, once again, a concept or topic in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, specifically patients with refractory out-of-hospital cardiac arrest and the utilization of ECMO, or what we would term ECPR. And our topic this month is based upon an article that was published just, I'd say, in the last maybe two, maybe three months here in 2022. It is out of JAMA, and in essence, it is titled The Effect of Intra-Arrest Transport, Extracorporeal Cardiac." Cardiopulmonary resuscitation and immediate invasive assessment and treatment on functional neurologic outcome in refractory out of hospital cardiac arrest. Well, that's a pretty long title, but in essence, it's utilization of ECPR and quick coronary angiography in patients with refractory out of hospital cardiac arrest. Dr. Greenwood, let me turn to you. Give us the background. What was the thought with these investigators in designing this particular trial? And then ultimately, what's their objective?
0: Yeah, absolutely, Mike. So I think all of us are pretty familiar with the data that clinical outcomes in terms of good neurologic outcome after cardiac arrest is pretty poor. In fact, across the United States, it's somewhere between three and 5%. Now there are little pockets of the US that are high performers and may get a little bit of better in terms of neuro intact survival. But overall, unfortunately, our treatments remain really limited. And so ECPR has been recognized as a potential therapeutic strategy that may be beneficial for patients with refractory cardiac arrest. So those who after initial defibrillation don't have a return of spontaneous circulation and remaining cardiac arrest, the arrest trial, which we did talk about not too long ago on CCPM, was a much smaller randomized trial than what we're going to talk about today. So they randomized 30 patients with refractory out of hospital rest from a primary cardiac cause. And Their results were pretty profound. In fact, I believe it was 14 out of 15 patients who were randomized to the intervention arm had a good neurologic outcome. And that was compared to standard ACLS therapy. So while a small randomized trial is good, a big one's better. And so we'd like to know a little bit more about whether or not ECPR is in fact beneficial to patients with cardiac arrest. So both the American Heart Association and European Resuscitation Council Really, only provide a weak recommendation for ECPR. It's really only a rescue method right now for patients with refractory arrest, and there's a lot of reasons for that. It's very resource-intensive. It's not widely available, and even in the United States, as far as AHA is concerned, we still don't have regionalized cardiac arrest centers where we can pool all of these resources. So it really makes it difficult to bring the technology to the patient or the patient to the technology. So we have a long ways to go, but this paper that was published not too long ago brings us a little bit closer to maybe developing a more comprehensive strategy for cardiac arrest care. So the objective of this trial was to compare a bundle of intra-arrest transport to the hospital with a couple of things. So they included mechanical CPR, ECPR, so ECMO, And immediate coronary angiography. And they compared that with standard treatment in refractory out of hospital cardiac arrest to what was local in Prague and took a look at 180 day good neurologic outcomes.
1: Thanks so much, John, for setting the background and the objective. Now, there's a lot of details in what you had said with respect to the objectives, this bundled therapy. So, Peter, can you kind of set the stage, take us through the design of this study. Who were the patients? What were the interventions? Provide us some detail there so we can start to see how this would necessarily apply to our particular patient population.
2: Right. I think there's some opportunity here, but there are also some differences. So first to start off with, it's a randomized clinical trial. It's a single center in Prague, which is the Czech Republic. But what we need to know is that The Czech Republic's EMS is not your mom and dad's EMS. It's like an Uber EMS where they have attendings attend the EMS cardiac arrest. And so they're making changes there and decisions there that impact everything else. And so that is an overlay for this study that we have to understand. It's not like our routine paramedics, even with online medical control. So the patient's. Those that were included were adults aged 18 to 65 years. And then it was a witness out-of-hospital cardiac arrest of a presumed cardiac etiology. So that's standard. They received a minimum of five minutes of ACLS without evidence of ROSC. So no return of spontaneous circulation there. They presented when the e-CPR team was available. So there's some availability bias there as well that's going to be an overlay. So who was excluded? Well, clearly if you were unwitnessed arrest, you were excluded. If it was a presumed non-cardiac cause, you were excluded. If they attained ROSC within five minutes of arrest, right? So if we were quick to get them back, they weren't included. Those who had regained consciousness were not included. Those with life-threatening comorbidities were not included those with pre-arrest CPC score of three or greater, and those with suspected or confirmed pregnancy. Those were opted out. And so the intervention, our standard strategy group received continued ACLS on-site. There was use of a mechanical CPR device was left to the discretion of the emergency physician who was presenting on-site. The use of medications, further defibrillation, or any other interventions were provided according to recommended guidelines, but again, under the supervision of the emergency medicine physician on site. If ROSC was thereby achieved, patients were transported to the hospital and early coronary angiography was encouraged. So not dictated, but encouraged. The invasive strategy group, this was intra-arrest, intranasal, evaporative cooling, was initiated if feasible. The patient was immediately transported to the cardiac center while receiving their mechanical CPR. The use of medications, further defibrillation, and those other interventions were delivered according to the ERC guidelines. Upon arrival, overall status, ROSC or no ROSC, and ECLS inclusion-exclusion criteria were then assessed. If no ROSC and no exclusion criteria, ECLS cannulation was performed in the cath lab during mechanical CPR using femoral femoral approach. They were placed on ECMO and then underwent angiography. Our post-arrest care was standardized in both of the study groups. Urgent bedside echo was included, pan-CT scan if feasible, And then temperature management to 33 degrees Celsius following TIMI, targeted temperature management intervention. A temperature of 36 was allowed if cases of early awakening or hypothermia complications occurred. So what was the primary outcome? 180-day survival with favorable neurological status. A CPC one or two. So again, our gold status, really looking not just at who survived, but what their neurological status was. The secondary outcomes included 30-day survival with cardiac recovery and neurologic recovery with a CPC score of one or two. The exploratory analysis, survival to 180 days, and then subgroups, those greater than 65 years of age, those 65 years of age and younger, the place of arrest, and then the initial rhythm. And those are our methods.
1: Thanks so much, Peter. That provides a lot of clarity. So if I can summarize things in terms of that standard strategy, the ACLS, there was a call, the pre-hospital team arrived, which included the emergency physicians. They basically ran the resuscitation in the field. And if they got ROSC, then went to the hospital versus they got on scene, the patient was randomized to invasive strategy. They initiated CPR and then scooped and ran. They went to the cardiac center, took them right from the scene to the cath lab, whereby if they met the appropriate inclusion criteria, got cannulated, got put on ECMO, then got a cath, and then went to the ICU for post-arrest care. Does that seem to kind of summarize the two groups?
2: Absolutely. That's spot on.
1: All right. Well, let's hit the results then, the take-home message. And in terms of those results, something we could allude to in the limitations portion of our discussion here is that during the period of about 2013 to 2020, when they ran this study, there were over 42, 4,300 cardiac arrests in Prague. And when all was said and done, taking a look at who were the potentially eligible patients to be enrolled and randomized in this study, there was about 350 or so in the mid 300s. Ultimately, after applying a variety of other exclusionary criteria, 256 patients were analyzed and included in this particular publication with 124 to the invasive eCPR group versus 132 to the standard acls strategy group there was some crossover and this was allowed by study design about seven and a half percent of patients crossed over between the two groups And then when we look at patient characteristics, in essence, they were pretty much the same. So the median age was really no different between the two groups. The most frequent cause of arrest was pretty similar between the groups, and that was an acute coronary syndrome. The most common location of the arrest, well, it was in a public place. So that didn't really differ significantly between those that get standard ACLS versus the invasive ECPR bundled therapy. The most common initial rhythm, V-fib. And one thing that... I'd like to point out, and it's maybe something that we could tie back even to our TTM2 discussion, whereby bystander CPR was 98 to 99% in both groups. Those are astronomical numbers in the pre-hospital setting for bystander CPR, certainly numbers that we don't see here in Baltimore at the University of Maryland. So take-home message, that primary outcome, what Peter said, essentially six-month survival with favorable neurologic status, well... The numbers themselves would paint a different picture in the standard strategy, that six-month survival with good neurologic recovery, 22% in those getting ACLS versus 31.5% in those getting the invasive strategy bundled therapy. However, that was not statistically significant. With respect to secondary outcomes, where we're looking at neurologic recovery at 30 days or cardiac recovery at 30 days, the cardiac recovery at 30 days, no different between the groups. However, neurologic recovery at 30 days was statistically significant and different, favoring the invasive strategy. So standard ACLS had about an 18.2% Neurologic recovery at 30 days versus the bundled ECPR strategy group had about 31% neurologic recovery at 30 days. So as a secondary outcome, there was a benefit in neurologic recovery. And as we've talked about whenever we analyze studies, more hypothesis generating. But the take-home message, no statistical difference in their primary outcome of six month survival with favorable neurologic outcome. When they took a look at that subgroup analysis, was there a group that therapy favored? Didn't seem to be based upon age, initial shockable rhythm, or cardiac arrest cause. However, when you look at patients and stratify them based upon the duration of CPR that they got, it looked like those that had longer CPR times. So at least by the data that's presented and available, CPR times of about 45 minutes or longer that favored the eCPR bundle. But all of these other subgroup analysis, there wasn't any difference. And this wouldn't come as a surprise. Major bleeding events. ICH was much more common in the invasive strategy group. And that's because after being placed on ECMO, we know that we're going to anticoagulate patients with heparin. So, John, that was the major results. You know, that there wasn't a statistically significant difference. We've hinted at some limitations. What are some other limitations of this particular study that we need to keep in mind when thinking critically about how to apply these results and how it adds to the literature and our interpretation and thought on ECPR for refractory cardiac arrest?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I have a couple of Thoughts kind of about this. Certainly, it's a single center. It's very similar to the arrest trial in that it takes place in an urban city with a high functioning EMS system. And all of the technical limitations that come along with initiating ECMO need to be highly coordinated in a high functioning EMS system, as Prague clearly has has shown us, similar to the arrest trial, the group in Minneapolis. The fact that There was a limitation in terms of enrollment and randomization times always makes it a little bit more tricky, right? Because cardiac arrest can happen anytime. And certainly during the day, assuming this is, you know, during banker's hours, if you will, makes it a little bit more challenging in terms of real world applicability. There's a high percentage of bystander CPR in Prague. So just like we've seen in some of the other recent cardiac arrest literature that's happened in Europe, a lot of really good citizens out there that are actively engaged in ACLS care. Love to see that, but a little bit different than here in the United States. Now, while study crossover was allowed, it wasn't a tremendous part of the cohort in the standard arm, as opposed to the intervention arm. Some other things, too, I think, as we were kind of talking about this, or Mike, as you were going through, I thought might have been worth noting. So, certainly, there was no statistical significance here 31.5% versus 22%, with a p value of 0.09. But this also makes me think about the Eolia trial, which I know we've discussed in the past, where there was no statistical significance and the trial was stopped early for different reasons. But this trial, was also stopped early, interestingly enough. And it was after the arrest trial was published in Lancet because the data safety monitoring board actually thought that high invasive strategy had superiority. There's a pretty impressive difference here in the primary outcome, 32% to 22%, a 10% difference. If that were me, I think from an evidence-based standpoint, that's pretty good. And we're now seeing a trend in terms of the signal of perhaps there may be a role for ACPR in a much more broader sense for cardiac arrest care. So that's my sort of interpretation of this. Now, I think there are some strengths too. I think the study had some good pragmatic inclusion criteria of uh, high quality CPR, witnessed arrests, at least five to 20 minutes of high quality ACLS care. Those are things that I think real world we use today in our eCPR inclusion criteria. And, you know, I know we use that specifically and their ECMO times, their time from actual arrest to eCPR were very real world. They were around 60 minutes, which we found that's probably what we do at Penn locally. Our goal is to initiate or activate around 20 minutes with a goal of being on by 60 minutes. And that's what this group did. And I'm pretty sure that's pretty similar to a number of other high functioning centers. So kudos to the Prague group for that. They have obviously a very high functioning system. So those are sort of my limitations, some of the strengths and maybe some takeaways as well
1: really like that analysis, John. Thanks for those thoughts. And we're similar at Maryland. I think that in terms of getting folks on within about 60 minutes, I think we're close to that. But your analysis and really deeper dive thoughts in the data is really great. Peter, adding to what John said.
2: Yeah, it's tough to add to what you guys said. We're not savvy with ECPR in New Orleans as they are in Prague or where you guys are in Maryland and Philly. But I would just say this I would really like to have a cardiac arrest if I were to have one in Prague, right? Because if you have high 90s of the public doing CPR, that's strong. That's really, really strong. My take home from this is that it is all promising. I see nothing negative in this study. I understand the parsing of is it statistically significant in all areas? And it is not, but the trends are certainly certainly positive leaning and i think that's going to beg more study because i think this is the direction we will be going in
1: i like that peter and and i am still so impressed with 98 and 99% by standard cpr and i think even thinking about one of the limitations is the study you know being underpowered because their survival was higher in that standard strategy group than they initially ran the numbers you know at 22% of favorable outcome at 6 months you know, we're certainly not getting close to those numbers. So kudos, John, you said that to the investigators and all of those folks in the Prague region and their EMS, they're, they're doing an outstanding job. Well, gentlemen, thanks so much for taking us through this very important, very timely, hot-off-the-press article about a critical component that we've talked about. And we focus a fair amount on out-of-hospital cardiac arrests. It's one of the most common things we are seeing rolling into our EDs. And once we get ROSC, getting them up to the ICU, and this adds a lot of data. Another strong, randomized study looking at eCPR. And Peter, I like how you ended that in terms of things being favorable. So my thanks to the two of you for expert analysis going through this study and bringing us all up to date on this latest literature with respect to ECPR and out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. Please let us know if you have any questions. As always, shoot us an email through the website. Love corresponding with you. We get those emails and having that exchange and communication back and forth is so great. That's gonna close us out for now on this podcast. We look forward to speaking with you on our next podcast. Stay safe, stay well, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.